Well, this is, as Jerry said, Vision Weekend. And, uh, wow, um, what's going to happen this coming year? Don't you wish that uh, you knew? Only God knows what's going to happen. Don't you wish you had a key that would actually unlock the vision, that would show you uh, what's going to happen in our church and what should and could happen in your life personally? But while we can't see it, I really believe we can believe what God wants to do in our church. And I think the key that you hold in your hand is a symbol of that. And what I want to share in this message is a picture of, of what I really believe God wants to do in this church and in our lives personally together this coming year. Bill Hybels with Willow Creek Community Church says that a vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. Okay, well, I thought about that and I thought, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Bill, because you're really a vision caster and because you, you're right-brained, you know, creative, can paint pictures with words. I'm more, I got to confess, more left brain. I think in words and linearly, you know, so it's up to you, God, and it's up to you. I'm praying that you're going to want to see what God wants to do in this church in the coming year. And uh, that God will give you a picture in your own heart and mind to see what he has in mind for KCC as well as for you. But I want to set before you, and it's reflected in your outline, some of the keys that I think are going to be vital to opening the vision that God has for this church and for your life personally. Here's the first. You must believe that our mission is critical, that Jesus' words are directed to you. Now, what's our mission? Well, if you've been coming maybe just short time, you probably noticed our banners on the walls here. If you've been coming a long time, you probably tune those out. You don't even see them anymore. But our vision is right up at the top there. In fact, I know you have it memorized, but you can look. We'll read it together, okay? Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God passionately and their neighbor as themselves. Now, most of you know exactly where that comes from. That comes from two of Jesus' greatest, greatest commands. The first, he was asked by an expert in the Mosaic Law, what's the greatest commandment? And when that person asked him that, he really didn't want to know what the greatest commandment was. He, he wanted to trap Jesus, to expose him, to discredit him. But Jesus answered that man of the law, and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, Jesus continued. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus said, If you'll do these things you will have fulfilled the law and the prophets. It's all summed up in those two commands. And then, just prior to his ascension, following the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus gave marching orders to his disciples. And it's called the Great Commission because for every generation of believers, it's the mission that he's given to the church. It's in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus said this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I want you to notice that verse. What did Jesus instruct his disciples to make? Disciples. He did not, this is really important. He did not instruct them to go and make believers. Now, we sometimes refer to followers of Jesus as believers, and that's okay, but it depends on how we define it. Because if believers is interpreter defined as somebody who gives mental assent to the facts of the gospel, who's willing to attend church when it's convenient, not raining, if, if, it's just, if it's just believing a body of facts, do you think that we would have ever heard the gospel? If that's what they understood to be his command? No way. No, they understood Jesus. Make disciples. Those who put into practice what Jesus said and make help others to do the same. In fact, that small band of believers that Jesus was talking to in 350 years, had multiplied to 34 million people. That's exponential growth. That's amazing. Well, that's because they went out to make disciples, not believers. It still works today, by the way. You look at sub-Saharan Africa. Everything below the Sahara Desert. In fact, that's where David and Marcia served as missionaries through the 30 years they were there. Kenya and Ethiopia and Eritrea. In 1900, they estimate that there were 70 million Christians in sub-Saharan Africa. 1900. In 2010, 470 million. That's almost 70 times the growth. Why? Because those believers made disciples who would follow Jesus and put into practice what he said. How about China? After the Cultural Revolution in 1949 and the subsequent years, the bloodbath under Chairman Mao, Christians were persecuted. 10,000 foreign missionaries were expelled from the country. Uh, those that they could identify as pastors and leaders were put in jail or labor camps or executed. And people wondered when the door came down over China, what would happen to that fledgling church? Well, it was decades later when people were able to get back in as China opened and they discovered that that persecuted little band of believers had grown by that time in the 90s to 60 million believers. And today they estimate 100 million believers in China. And it's just growing exponentially. Why? Because... They didn't go out to make believers. They went out to make disciples. Now, what about the church in America? We hear all too often, to our chagrin, that the church in America, 80% of the churches in America, I should say, are either plateaued or are in decline. Why is that? I think that's because we too often in the church in America are making believers, people who assent to the gospel. I got my ticket to heaven, and now I can 
live for myself. No, that's not a disciple. A disciple obeys what Jesus said to do, seeks to make Jesus his or her uh, Lord and follow him. You know, in this Believe series that we're getting ready to start next weekend, many of you already picked up this book. Uh, Randy Frazee has some comments in here, but it's mostly just Bible, Scripture, about doctrines, teachings of the Bible. But there's an introduction in it, and I know probably many of you are going to skip over the introduction, so I wanted to mention something he says in that. He says, there's a fellow, a sociologist at, at uh, Baylor University, and Rodney Stark's his name. He's an agnostic at that Christian university. And, uh, but he was wondering, why was there such an amazing growth among those early Christians? How'd they do that? And in the book that he wrote about it, he details how they loved and how they lived, how when the population was decimated by plagues and disease, they would minister to the sick and to the dying. They would adopt kids that needed family. They would even sell themselves as slaves, many of them, to witness to other slaves. I mean, they lived their faith. They put it into practice. And then he comes to the end of his book, and he says this. Therefore, as I conclude the study... I find it necessary to confront what appears to me to be the ultimate factor in the rise of Christianity. I believe that it was the religion's particular doctrines that permitted Christianity to be among the most sweeping and successful revitalization movements in history. And it was the way these doctrines or teachings took on actual flesh, the way they directed organizational actions and the individual behavior that led to the rise of Christianity. In other words, they not only believed the teaching about Jesus, but they wanted to think like Jesus and be like Jesus and act like Jesus. And they did. And because of that, well, the rest is history. There's 1.6 billion Christians in the world today, way more than any other religion. Well, this is the book and there's 30 doctrines, 30 teachings that we're going to look at over the next 30 weeks with a couple of breaks in between and uh, I think it can help us retain and regain uh, what it means to be disciples. So how are we doing as a church? Well, we're doing okay. Actually, in some areas we're doing really well. We talked about that last weekend. I shared some of the wonderful things that God's doing through our church in various ways. We recounted some of those things. But are we there yet? Can we do better? I think so. And that's what I want to share with you. Uh, and one of those keys is our mission. We have to believe, each of us, that it's personal and that it's directed to us as individuals as well as to a church committing ourselves to it. Secondly, another key, you must believe that our 2020 vision is crucial. His specific assignment for our church. Well, what's that? Well, it's also reflected on this banner. I set that before the church in 2009, looking toward the year 2020. We're almost there but we're not there yet. And uh, here it is. There's three points. The first is by 2020 in God's grace, we will grow deep and strong as God's family through small groups and intergenerational relationships, 
displaying our island people in the mosaic of Christ's kingdom. Each phrase in there is really important. I won't take the time this morning to unpack each one. But yeah, small groups, intergenerational relationships, the mosaic of our island people. We want them displayed. In our culture today, there's broken families, which contributes to drugs, gang membership, and crime. There is racial division and hatred in our culture across America today that is just out of control. The church and Kaimuki Christian Church needs to be not just a haven from the hostility of the culture, but a beacon that shines its light into the culture, showing what love and reconciliation and uh, embracing across various lines looks like. This church has led the way in many ways, and I just want to encourage you, I want to commend you for that, but say, we're not there yet. We, we need to do even more to seek for justice and reconciliation and show that it's not just tolerating one another across racial or socioeconomic lines or whatever lines are drawn, but it's embracing one another in the kingdom of God. That's part of our 2020 vision. Third component, or second component is build a home on this block to serve our community and house our growing family. When we have our up-to-bat seminars, which many of you have gone to, we just concluded another one this last Tuesday evening. One part of that is when we walk around the block. I like that part, and people really respond to that. In fact, someone that just came because they'd been texted by another member of our church the other night, had never been to our church, he came. And he said, wow, that is impressive. It is. It's impressive what God has done in the last 22 years on this planet. I mean, it's about him. It's about him guiding us, about him providing for us. Uh, seven of the eight properties, I've talked about that last weekend. Not only that, I wrote a booklet called Believe, for in conjunction with this weekend, starting in 1909, when this church was planted way out in Kaimuki from Honolulu, and uh, what God has done since. Why did I do this? I wanted to give God glory because he's the one that has led us, and he's one that his timing and provision is just amazing. But I also wanted it to be able to inspire us and our children to believe that God has a vision for our church, and that if, that if he's going to provide property and enable us to build, which only house the vision, certainly he's going to provide and guide as he builds up our lives and enables us to reach out into this community and beyond. And so I want every individual or every family unit uh, to have one of these booklets when you leave. That's that's a, very, that's a powerful component of our vision, and we're going to see that come to pass. I know we are. The third facet of this 2020 vision, by 2020 in God's grace, we will extend Jesus' love, acceptance, and forgiveness from Kaimuki to the ends of the earth. That sounds like a big vision, doesn't it? Can you imagine how that sounded to those first disciples Jesus is talking to? You're going to be my witnesses. You'll receive power from on high. You'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, they're tracking with him. Samaria, those foreigners, and to the remotest parts of the earth. Where's that? 
I mean, to those disciples, Rome would have been it. They'd heard about it. They'd never been there outside of Palestine. But the remotest parts of the earth, I mean, did they know about Hawaii? No. But their witness reached us, right? In other words, God did it as they simply acted in faith and obedience. And God's going to do that for us as well. Key to our vision, we've got to believe that this is our vision, specific to us and take responsibility to pray and to act to see it come to pass. Well, in 2012, we took a survey across the board here in our church, and uh, there were all kinds of questions on that survey. The survey came out of a book from Willow Creek Church, and uh, this book was the result of research. I mean, Willow Creek's a just a great church in the Chicago area. They just reach all kinds of people for Christ. And they were, uh, well, they had an association of 1,700 churches at that time. And they began to ask the question, what helps people grow close to Jesus? They did some intense research on that, and they concluded there were three things that helped people grow close to Jesus. And it often wasn't what we would have thought. Number one, by far, was if people will read and reflect on God's Word at least four times a week. Secondly, if people will serve together in community. Okay. Third was that if a, an individual would have at least six meaningful spiritual conversations with an unbeliever every year. Do those three things, you're going to be close to Jesus. So they did these surveys for the churches, they found out where they were, we took the survey. And we got a whole printout back from them telling us our strengths, where we need to grow. Uh, talked about, well, in fact, we had a phone conference call with them about it. And, uh, wow, they gave us some real information as a result. Well, I want to show you some of the things that they showed us. In fact, we've got about four slides here. They identified in every of these, each one of these churches four different categories of Christians, okay, or people. The first group was exploring Christ. I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Christ. My faith is not a significant part of my life. Nine percent of our people fit into that category. By the way, we had a 45 percent uh, response in who took the survey. It gave us a very good uh, indication of where we are. Nine percent of our people said, that's me. I'm just exploring. Not sure if I believe in Christ. Growing in Christ, I believe in Jesus and am working on what it means to get to know him. Forty-one percent of our people were there in 2012. Close to Christ. I feel really close to Christ and depend on him daily for guidance. Twenty-five percent of KCC folk back in 2012 were there. Christ-centered. My relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life. It guides everything I do. 25% of our folks were there. So we looked at that and said, wow. Okay, well, that's great, and that's great. And it's good to have some people that are seeking to know Christ. But look at our big group here. Um, I'm working on getting to know him. I want to know him better. 41%. So, okay. Uh, next slide, please. This is another page in the printout. Personal spiritual practices, and they had a bunch of them here, and how we're doing on all that. I'll just mention two of them. Reflecting on Scripture regularly. 
32% of our people were doing that. And you see the up arrow, that means we're doing better than most churches in that area. How about just Bible reading? 35%. So we had two arrows up. So we're doing better than a lot of churches in that area. Well, how are we doing? What's our grade? They actually graded us in relation to all these areas. And you'll see in the next slide, we got a 72 when it comes to numbers of our people practicing spiritual disciplines like Bible reading, sharing their faith, um, you know, serving in ministry, praying, those kinds of things. Faith in action, expressing those things, okay, in our daily lives. And then the church's role. How are the pastors and the leaders doing in equipping the people to do it? We got a 72. Now, when I was in school, 70 was passing. So we are passing, right? Are we happy? <laughs> are we okay with that? Are we satisfied? I hope not. Okay, because you'll see in this next slide that uh, if you get 86 or above, you're in the top 5% of churches, 83 to 85, top 10%, 76 to 82, you're in the top 25%, oh, 70 to 75, you're in the upper 50. Well, we can comfort ourselves with that. Or say, I don't think that's where we ought to be, and that's where I'm at. I'm like, Really? Good for you guys and good for us that we're doing that well, but we're not satisfied with that. Here's the deal. We're not in competition with other churches. We're in competition with the enemy who wants people to go to hell, who wants people to live in mediocrity, who wants Christians to withdraw from their culture. But Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm saying we can move forward and we must to carry out the vision that Christ has given us for the glory of God. And as we do that, we're going to be blessed and filled with joy. Know that we're following him. There was some good news in that survey, by the way. They listed seven levels of churches. The seventh was energized, and that's where they said we were. And that's good. They said, your people are energized. They want to go. They want to be disciples. They're just not sure which direction. You haven't made it clear to them. If you want to move on, you've got to go to level eight, and that's be a vital church that's making a real impact in your community. They said, you need a pathway for people to go on. So that's why we began to pray, and we worked with a lot of hours to come up with a pathway. We call it Keala Oyesu, the path of Jesus. We identified some practices that will help us move on and grow in our commitment to Christ and uh, the practices that he's called us to, to do as disciples. Some of you have chosen to take that path. You've taken it personally. You've said, okay, I got a direction. Some of you still need maybe a little encouragement. I suppose each of us does because we go through periods like that. But where are we now? Well, more importantly, where are we going to go? Here's the third key that I want to share with you to the vision this morning. You must believe that Keala Oyesu is your personal path to follow Jesus because only disciples will fill the, fulfill this vision. Believers won't do it. People that just say, well, I'll go to church occasionally and hang out there if I can. But um, that's about it. No, believers are never going to fulfill this vision, but disciples will. And it's disciples that Jesus has called us to be. 
Real quickly, I'll recount each of these four. The first is, well, it's a base path you can see up top. And the and first base is love God. We grow to love God through biblical teaching and engaging worship in our weekend services. This Believe series, I believe, will give us the opportunity to grow in our love for God. Why? Well, as you read it regularly through the week, you're going to come to grips again with the real truths, the bedrock truths of Scripture that can get into our hearts and change our lives. And can you imagine if parents and children would read that together or discuss it and how it applies to their lives and then come to weekend worship ready to worship God because of what you've been learning about Him and His ways and ready to receive more instruction from His Word about who He is and what He's done. Imagine if we grew to love God so much that every person who comes here, whether a veteran or a visitor, would be embraced by the love of Jesus Christ, that unconditional love and acceptance that should characterize the church that loves God. Can you imagine us as a truly intergenerational church where youth and adults are worshiping together and children through adults are serving together because we love God? That's what needs to happen and can happen if we'll follow him as disciples. Secondly, connect with one another. We connect with one another through Bible study and caring in Ohana groups. We talk a lot about our Ohana groups and for good reason. Ohana groups enable us to come into a place where we may be a little afraid, we, we know our shortcomings, but we learn that that's a place where I can share my doubts and it's okay to have some doubts. It's okay to have struggles and temptations and challenges in my life because I'm not going to be condemned or judged, I'm going to be encouraged. I'll be able to heal in that group. I'll be able to share into somebody else's life what God's given me. In fact, Dr. Larry Crabb, a premier Christian psychologist, said we wouldn't need therapists if the church were doing what it was intended to do, and that is meeting in small groups where people could share their lives together in faith and grow in community. If we'd be able to know that's a safe place and share our hearts and receive hope and help and encouragement. Pastor Harold Gallagher uh, used to say, he was my predecessor, the church is not a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And I always loved that, that's true. I think this last week the Pope took it even a step further. He said, I don't really read his encyclical, but somebody sent this to me. He said, the church is a field hospital. Well now, a field hospital is in a war zone where those who've been injured are brought into that field hospital, they're treated, and if possible, sent back into the action. Well, that's what the church is. It's a place where we come, and especially into our Ohana groups, where we receive healing and, and uh, hope, and then we go back out into the action where we can make a difference for the Lord and serve Him. One more thing about Ohana groups, and I want to challenge each of you as Ohana group leaders as well as those of you in the groups. Can you imagine if when we begin these new Believe Ohana groups next week, if each group from the get-go would pray and believe God to plant 
a new group when we start our second segment in January. Start praying that God would raise up a leader and or a couple in that group or a couple couples that could go out and pioneer the next group. Then we double the size of our Ohana groups and God would just move in that. Trust God for that. This is a powerful uh, part of the path of Jesus. Connect with one another. Third, serve the Lord. We joyfully serve the Lord to meet the needs in our church, community, and world through ministry teams. One of the things that's important for us personally is to know who we are, how God has designed us, how he's shaped us, because God's given us each gifts. And Jesus said in the parable of the talents, if we don't use them, if we bury them, we'll be embarrassed when we stand before Jesus. And we just won't have the joy and fulfillment that he intended for us to have now. And as you discover those gifts that God's given you, and you partner with others in ministry, you're going to see God do amazing things. Just go on about some of the things we're seeing right now in various ministries. I don't want you to miss out. And I don't want our church to miss out either. Can you imagine how fulfilling it would be if we as a church could have ministry teams that would affect some of the issues that are facing our community, whether it be crisis in our educational system, the homeless issue, or any number of issues, because there are a variety of kinds of ministries that we can affect as God leads us, and that's what God wants us to do as we serve together in ministry. Finally, the fourth path, base path uh, marker is reach the lost. We reach the lost by sharing the good news of Jesus with our island neighbors and the world. Now, for each of these others, we kind of do them together, loving God and connecting with one another and serving the Lord. Reach the lost, that's up to us individually. Because each of us has uniquely been placed in a family where there's unbelievers, maybe in a neighborhood where there's unbelievers, maybe in our community, uh, our workplace, our campus, and we are there by design to pray for the people around us, to love them, to reach out to them as we have opportunity to do good to them, share our testimony, invite them to a church picnic, even in the rain, whatever, and uh, let God move as he prepares their hearts or gives us an opportunity to share with them. Can you imagine what it would be like to experience genuine care and compassion for our friends who don't know Jesus, who are headed for a Christless eternity apart from God, sharing our faith not out of guilt or obligation, but because of the joy of Jesus that resides within us. Well, each of us can get distracted, folks. I foremost, okay, especially during football season. We can get distracted. We can lose our focus in our first love. A number of our people have gone through training and some have expressed what they hope to get out of believe. Here's what one person said. Here's what I want to get out of believe. I want to return to my first love and to really reach out to the lost this year. I want to be different, to see the world through God's eyes as full of opportunity to share his love and make him known. I guess I'm afraid, too, of what really believing that people I love will go to hell will mean. I thought of this song by Keith Green, My Eyes Are Dry. 
Listen to this, especially if you've been a believer for a while. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the vine of your blood. Isn't that a wonderful prayer that some of us probably need to pray with all our heart? God, soften my heart. Restore that first love that I had for you and the desire to share your good news with those around me. Now, many of you, well, a few of you, may have been sitting here thinking, I've heard all this before. I heard about that mission. I heard about our 2020 vision. I've even heard Keala Oyesu. The question is not, have you heard it before? question isn't even in, do you believe it? No, no, no. The question for you and for me is, are we committed to these things? Are we ready to act upon these things? Are we more than believers? Are we disciples who are committed to following Jesus? Well, I want to challenge you. I really want to challenge you not just to go through the motions. Yes, I want you to pick up the materials out on the lanai. Yes, I want you to sign up for an Ohana group. Yes, I want you to come to worship services, but not just academically, not without heart. No, full on, all in, because you want to be more than a believer, a disciple who will begin to more and more think, be, think, act, and be like Jesus. Pastor Jerry saw my outline for the message, and he saw the last point. And it says, you hold the key to God's vision for KCC. Take that key out. I believe that's true. You hold the key. And he said, you know what? There was a speaker that came to our church 30 years ago. And I still remember what he said. He was from the mainland. And he said, where I come from, we don't, we don't have names like Kaimuki. So how am I going to remember that? And he said, well, I'm going to remember that by thinking I'm a key. Thought, All right. I want you to remember it too, okay? And think, I'm a key to this vision. You hold the key. And if you and I will put into practice what Jesus said to do, fulfilling our mission, our vision, and walking along that pathway, we're going to see this vision come to pass. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for the vision that you have for this church, that you've had for so many decades. We are a generation that can live it out and pass it on. Lord, this year, I pray that we'll be serious and personal, take it personally, and uh, commit our lives together to seeing you accomplish your purpose in this church and in our lives. And Lord, I'd, I'd pray for anyone here this morning in our service that has yet to really believe, doesn't know where she'll spend eternity, where he'll spend eternity. I pray this would be the day of salvation that he or she would say, yes, Jesus, I believe. If that's you this morning, just invite Jesus into your life. Simple prayer. That's the first step, saying, Jesus, I believe in you.
Thank you for giving your life on the cross for me. I invite you into my life. Please forgive my sins. Help me to be a believer. And more than a believer, a disciple of yours. I pray that for each of us, Lord, in your name. Amen.